So I came across this graphic on Twitter recently. <laughs> Selena, you don't you don't tweet as much as you used to. I never tweeted. Have you ever tweeted once in your entire no, life? No, I think you connected my Facebook account to Twitter <laughs> or something at one point and somehow things were getting out that way. I don't, I'm not on Twitter at all. I'm exclusively on Twitter and I think <laughs> it's just because I've found it to be an interesting place to be. Um, but I came across this graphic and it's talking about depressive symptoms. Okay, so not depression per se, because that, that can be a bit of a buzzword and with a lot of baggage, but depressive symptoms in the U.S. 8th, 10th and 12th graders. Mm. And this graphic shocked me. So I said, Selena, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what this is saying, because I think it could be instructive for parents in our day and age. Mm. And uh, before we get into that, we'll go to the other side. Greetings and welcome once again to the Fierce Parenting Podcast. I'm Ryan. This is my wife, Selena. We're the Fredericks, and we are Fierce Marriage on Tuesdays. If you're a podcaster, find that in your podcasting app of choice. Fierce Parenting on Thursdays. If you, if you need to find that, well, you're there. <laughs> you're right there. You found it. Here we are. <laughs> um, or you can go on YouTube and find us. We are the Fierce Family for now, aka the Fredericks. And this is what we do. We're thankful for it. And we're thankful for our awesome uh, community of listeners and patrons. If you want to partner with us, go to fierceparenting.com slash partner. And we would love to have you there. So Depressive symptoms in U.S. 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. Mm. And like I said, this really compelled me to send it to my wife and hopefully start a conversation. Because it wasn't just looking at, hey, you know, let's interview teenagers and see, do you feel depressed? Well, surprise, all right? Almost every teenager at some point is going to be like, yeah, I'm depressed. Because <laughs> that's what angsty teenagers do. I mean, emotions are difficult. Hormones are real. Puberty is confusing. Um, so, but they didn't do that. They didn't ask are you depressed? They asked these, they had these statements and they asked, you know, do you agree with the statement or do you not? And here's the three statements. And then we'll get into a discussion on kind of culture at large in general. But the statement is this, I can't do anything right. Okay. And right about 2015, that percentage of teenagers that would affirm that statement went mm -hmm. from around 37%, I'll say 35% mm -hmm. from 2015 till now it's 50%. Okay. 50% of teens think I can't do anything right. Also, 45, 44% of teens say my life is not useful. Mm. I mean, this is like you're in a room of 10 kids. Half of them are going to say these things. Mm. The final statement is I do not enjoy life. And that was 50% of teens say I do not enjoy life. And something to note on this graph, it says 2020 data was collected in February and early March before schools shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, yeah, which the, you think it would skyrocket it did, during then, right? And it did, it did, but it, they said that they were collecting this data before it, it actually was, happened. It was it was already headed up, yeah, yeah. And the the study I think ends in twenty twenty two, so it does certainly end high. But what I what really drew my attention was around twenty fifteen, it started to trend up. Okay, mm -hmm. that's not like yesterday. It's not twenty twenty. It's not when the pandemic started. It's like. Five years before the pandemic, but mm -hmm. five years before all this craziness we've been experiencing, kids are already feeling this. So there's something else at play. Mm. And I wanted to kind of explore maybe what those factors could be. I think it's important for parents to understand what are the contributing factors to teenagers feeling hopeless. We're not parents yeah. of teens. We got a nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old. That's about as high as we go. Uh, we've done a lot of youth ministry in our time. Uh -huh. <laughs> we've been around quite a few many of teenagers uh, in different mediums and whatnot. But mm. 
it's this graph clearly shows that there's some correlations to you know, dare we say at the internet and uh, the and screens, the accessibility of yeah. screens and, and the normalizing of messages that are coming through. Um, so can I point, I don't point one thing out because I want to try to imagine, okay, 2015, 2014, who would, who would have been a teenager? Like, so eighth grade is what age? Uh, like 13, four, 13, 14, 14 years old. Yeah. Okay. So in 2015, these are kids who would have been born in 2001. Mm-hmm. Around, around then. Okay. So they're, they're headed into eighth, ninth grade. They probably are, they're coming of age in many ways, but they're really kind of the first digital natives mm-hmm. in terms of the new, yeah, they're digital natives and mm-hmm. probably some of the first ones we were. So our age, at our age, so we are graduated in 01. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of saw from high school, it was like pagers mm-hmm. till like the end <laughs> of high school. It was like cell phones, like the, like the, flip phones. the Nokia, you know, yeah. the one with the snake game on it. <laughs> And like the Motorola razors, remember those? And then co- that was college. And then by the end of college, it was like, yeah, that's when you had like the Motorola razor and it was more advanced. Well, and it was, I think three years after we graduated from college, we were married. That's when the first iPhone came out. Right. Or the second, I think it was maybe second or third version of the iPhone. Yeah. That was when we got it. And so like we got to see dial up internet all the way on to the iPhone to mm-hmm. today, kind of in our formative years. Well, you have digital natives that grew up and they, they, they don't know any other they don't know life outside of the internet or screen. Well, like they've never phones. used a, yeah, like t- tapping a phone is so normative for them. Like yeah. tapping and scrolling and swiping. Right. Remember how revolutionary yeah, that was? So instinctual now. And so, th- so they're digital natives coming of age. Social media was gaining steam right. in this period. Instagram was fairly new in, in 2015. Was MySpace, right? Wasn't that a thing Well, that was when while? we were back in college okay. or after, post-college. <laughs> Uh, so, but like, I think Instagram was, was gaining steam in 2015, maybe, maybe uh, not TikTok, but maybe, um, Facebook. Snapchat, oh, Facebook sure. was still a thing, but teenagers weren't really on it. Uh, I think they were mostly on Snapchat. Um, so there's that factor. Uh, and then there's the 2016 election. And I hadn't mentioned this before as we talked about it, but you know, it's the lead up to it. Donald Trump is gaining steam. The narratives around the catastrophe that 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 was is supposed to be like just I'm talking sure. about from the media standpoint. Yeah. And so regardless of like what kids think is going on, like there is an impending doom because of what's unfolding on the political stage mm-hmm. because of the way the narrative is not panning out the way the, the powers hoping, that yeah. be want it to. Yeah. What I'm trying to flesh out is so if you look at this perspective, okay, what's making our teenagers so angsty and so it's purposeless so and hopeless? Yeah. Start at the heart. And this is where I think you spent, as you were prepping for this episode, you spent a lot of time looking at what's going on in the heart of a child and why. So I want to start there and say, what's going on in the heart of a child, of a child and why? And then go outward. Okay, what's what's happening in front of their face? Mm-hmm. So what's in my heart? What's in my ears? Now what's in front of my face? Well, clearly there's a, there's a screen there. Mm-hmm. There's whatever's on the screen is in front of my face. And then go even further out and think, what's happening in the, the culture at large? And I think that's all contributing to maybe the spike in hopelessness. And if we have our head on swivel and we see the landscape for what it is screens and their effects. Uh, maybe the culture of, uh, uh, culture of a lack of or healthy relationship between parent and child. Mm-hmm. And then also like the, the, uh, the impending doom and destruction of our planet and our society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these things kind of like, make it hard for a kid to have some hope, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's my, my uh, kind of lead up and, and it's most of the episode at this point, but, Let's talk about the parents and relationship piece first, because I think that's contributing most to what's happening in the heart of the child. Right. And I think that you, 
as a parent, are we, do we actually have a proper relationship with our children or as they get older, are we, are you trying to be more of their friend, uh, Hmm. too soon or too quickly? You know, I think you go from, what is it? Like provider, protector, and then, ah, uh, there was three steps. Push her, push them out of the push house. Push them out of the nest. <laughs> uh, but as the parent, are you being the parent? Have you, um, or have you been distracted? Have you been feeling incapable, feeling mm. like you're not able to actually parent your child or be the parent that you wanted to be to your child? Uh, have you modeled your, even your need for Christ openly with your children? We're talking about the heart. We're talking about heart issues, uh, when you grumble and complain, do you repent to your kids about that? Do you repent to your husband? Like, have we modeled our need for Christ? Because our hearts need Christ. We can't sit here and say, here's some things that can help you be a better parent. No, your heart needs Christ. Your your soul, your spirit needs the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we need yeah. Christ himself to help us understand what is happening in the hearts of our children, uh, what they're being exposed to. What's what's the culture like temperature in your home? Does your child feel like they can talk to you? Uh, do they want to talk to you? <laughs> do they feel safe? Do you um, do things like family worship where you sing a song together, where you read the read the Bible more than just at Christmas and Easter? Like, do you actually, mm-hmm. is it normal in your home to talk about scripture, um, to pray together, to, to worship together? No. These are all tools that you're given and things that we can do by the grace of God to be able to kind of start cracking open what's in the child's heart. What, what is, what's the battlefield going on? You know, trying to get the lay of the landscape there. I'd be really curious to see this graph up, up against or somehow interwoven with that. Our kids that have like, so where is the faith of the child in terms of this statistic or is Mm -hmm. it equal across the board, whether you're Christian or not Christian on the checklist? Yeah. Are you feeling these things the same way? Or is it skewed toward the worldview? And, that, and of course, I, I I know that when we have a Christian worldview that is fleshed out from head to toe, from yeah. the inside out, from parents all, all the way down into the, in, into the life of the child mm-hmm. growing up and out of the house, that child is going to be well-adjusted. They're going to be equipped to withstand some, some hardship. They're going to be equipped to deal with worldview, questions mm-hmm. of identity, questions of, you know, who am I, where did I where am I going? Where'd I come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those big like worldview questions. They're going to be equipped with that. Right. So I tend to think that as parents, if we are stewarding the heart of our child, and I think that's what you're getting at. If we're stewarding the hearts of our children, they're, they're going to be, uh, they're going to have a better chance to fight off whatever this, uh, this fever is that yeah. this, that's uh, infecting our society, our, our teenagers. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about screens, we talk about the internet, um, being a tool and, and not just a toy, right? It's, it can be wielded for amazing things. It's, it's incredible what you can do, right. And what you can learn, uh, from the internet. But if you don't have the developmental capabilities, if you do not have the (laughs) strong anchor in the Lord, the moral compass, the, the ability to take what you see in front of you compare it to God's word and truth and either throw it out or say, yes, this is encouraging. This is affirming Mm. what I believe. No, this is not like our kids are not there yet. They don't have those capabilities. They are still learning the truth. They're still learning what it means Mm. to be a child of God, to be made in his image. And so giving them access to things like social media, even things like video games that are just never ending, um, that are played with other people, uh, on the internet, you know, we're not, we're not doing them any favors. We're not actually equipping them. I, I would argue that we're actually, um, sending them out. We're opening the door for the enemy to just come into their hearts, uh, and the minds of our kids. And so Hmm. 
screens, you know, the, we, we all know statistics. They distort reality. They make kids. I wouldn't assume we know the statistics. Okay. But, well, but I feel like the it's statistics a pretty, are there. it's a pretty, okay. Well, there's pretty compelling evidence that, uh, being on a phone is unhealthy. Now yes. people who don't want to believe that will find evidence in the contrary. And I was just with an author today talking through, he's writing a book that's, mm-hmm addresses these contradict like as parents like well phones are good because of the upsides but then they're also terrible for the downsides or video games are great because they improve dexterity and coordination but they're also horrible because they ruin your you know ability to focus um and so there's all these contradictions we have to sift through as parents right um my big issue is yeah screens are designed to be addictive apps are designed to be addictive They, they need users they need time and attention we can't really argue with that but the issue that, that I take and I think we take is that the the unfettered access that maybe parents don't realize what they're doing. It's like they're giving their kids the analogy we talked about. I got one of those weed torches recently mm-hmm. to help with weed control. It's awesome. Sounds like a jet engine. It's incredible. Right. It's just cooked up to a propane tank and you walk around with it and you spray all the, you right. burn all the weeds away, basically. It's really powerful. It sounds awesome. And it's kind of scary how hot this thing gets. Yeah. Well, it's like you've given your, we're giving our children the internet, the phone, and they have access to this never ending fire hose of humanity, mm. knowledge, experience, images. Like images. I mean, the best and the worst yeah. our society has to offer. It's all there. You're saying, here, take this torch, have fun. Yeah. And you're I kind of showed you the, how it works a little bit. You're giving to your three-year-old and you're wondering why the side of your house is on fire and why their, their feet are burnt and why no weeds are dead. Right. Right. <laughs> and the point of that analogy is that like, I think we, we underestimate, underestimate the power, the powerful tool that the internet actually is. I mean, even people that, you know, we were talking about AI a while ago too, how people, oh, what there's that video. I forget what it's called. It's not about AI, but it's about just the internet in general. All these people resigned from different positions because they didn't realize how things like Instagram and Facebook would be used ma- to manipulate and would be used for, mm financial gains in wrong for wrong reasons. Right. Are you talking about the social dilemma. I think so. The, yes. It's yeah. documentary. On, documentary. On Netflix on, yes. On of all so, things, of all things, <laughs> <laughs> the original infinity, uh, pool of content Netflix. Right. And so I think that, you know, if you are on screens more and on the internet more and you're less engaged with people face to face as, you know, if, if that is a Mm -hmm. child's lifestyle and they're bringing that up, they're only learning to navigate within those spheres. And the more, the longer they're in that sphere, that's the only way they know how to navigate. And then they try to go out and have social skills and then they're awkward. And that brings more insecurity and less confidence and they don't want to be around other people. Right. What did you say? We were talking about this. You said you can't, you can filter yourself online. You can't filter reality. So if you're used to seeing yourself through an online filter, (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're now expected to deal with reality. Now we're not talking about like putting your phone down at dinner or putting your phone down when company's over to be courteous. We're talking about when a child is facing something genuinely hard, mm-hmm. genuinely unattractive, not beautiful, not curated. They're looking at <laughs> life and they're saying, I don't see how I serve a purpose here because I look at all my imperfections. I can't filter myself to this. Mm-hmm. I can't present something other than what I really am. Right. The, uh, there's, so I'm working on this book. We've, we talked about discipling dissidents, but there's this idea I'm wrestling with. It's the primacy of the online self in the hearts and minds of our kids, meaning that their primary identity is not their, them in real life. It's them online. Mm-hmm. It's how they're presented online. Um, and that is a terrifying thing. And it has a lot of implications for what makes me, me, what is the center of my identity? Well, and what, what do I, I want? Because I, 
don't have it or I this shows me that I want I should want these things. This tells me what my should but, desire. But, but no, I'm, what I'm presenting myself as, though, not just like what I'm perceiving the world as, but like I'm presenting myself as something. And the my identity is what I'm presenting myself as. Now, yeah. you're seeing me interact in real life. This is where we get like some of the trans stuff we're going through as a culture. Some of the stuff that has to do with, I, I mean, just somehow detaching who I am from yeah. my physical being. Yeah. That's what I mean by the primacy of the online self. So when you talk to a teenager in real life, they don't know how to interact sometimes. Because well, and they can't even stand up for the arguments in the way that they would online, right? They, they, they won't, they won't come into a conversation ready to actually engage as, as much as they do online typing some things because having to actually say something is so different than actually typing something. Yeah, or, and, and so in that regard, yes, what I'm picturing is you've got this kid, he's, they're spending, he or she is spending all their time in a certain kind of internet echo chamber community right? where everything about them is being affirmed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they, they are extracted from this world and now they're sitting down at dinner, they're talking to their family and they're realizing I have nothing in common with these people. Um, they're saying all sorts of things that aren't echoing like my echo chamber does. I can't mute it. I can't type something back instead. I, I can't deal with it. Mm. And so, like you said, like you can't filter, you can't swipe past this. <laughs> this you is can't real swipe life. past yeah, your, your, your first life. job. You yeah. can't swipe past making minimum wage. Right. You can't swipe past, you know, not being able to afford car insurance. Like whatever those hard things are that a kid right. has to learn to deal with, you can't filter it. Um, the other big one, and, um, and maybe we'll just finish with this one, is the ongoing cultural like we talked about with uh, the, 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 the doom and gloom. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this is, I feel like more prevalent now than it was, but like, can you imagine being a teenager going through the, the COVID-19 pandemic? Right. You can't see your friends who you basically live for, right. In those teenage years, like you're just, you want to be with friends and somehow now you're on screens and now, you know, the rules that used to govern you socially don't quite apply anymore because you're not actually in real life. So maybe you, you know, use language you wouldn't actually use or you, you no. start acting certain ways or seeing, talking about things that you may not normally talk about no. face to face. And, you know, as teenagers, we, you, you need stability and you're looking at the world around you. You're thinking there's no one driving this bus. Like there's no <laughs> one driving it. Everyone who's supposed to know what's going on, they're fighting. Don't actually. Yeah. They hate each other. Yeah. Like the science says this, and then the science also says this, this politician said like, there's so much polarization, mm. there's no stability. Well, and kids are having access to actually seeing that. When we were kids, mm -hmm. there was the news and that even that is still, you know, skewed when we were teenagers, but yeah. like they are able to go anywhere and search anything yeah. and find any video on whatever it says, you know, at the drop of a hat. They're, um... I, I won't summarize it, but I'll just recommend it. There's a book by um, Neil Postman. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. He wrote it back in the 80s. Neil, <laughs> Neil has since pa passed, but this book was way ahead of its time. Mm. And there's a chapter in it. He doesn't get into the internet yet because the internet's not yet invented when he wrote the book, but he talks about TV news broadcasting. And he talks about how the medium is the message. I'd encourage you, if you're curious on this, you want to kind of wrap your head around, buy that book, read that chapter. I'd, I'd say read the whole book. It's great. But then ask yourself, how is the mediums that our children are consuming becoming the messages themselves? So it doesn't really matter what is being said. The medium is the thing that's being said. So TikTok, for example, this 
insanely, we've done an episode on this. It's an insanely addictive platform. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean that not hyperbolically, insanely addictive. Mm -hmm. It is the thing that is creating the, 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 how these kids are, uh, internalizing the messages is the medium itself. Like fast paced, you know, curation. Anyway, these are kind of our initial thoughts. What could be contributing to the, uh, kind of depressive Mm -hmm. thinking, among our teenagers. And I think at the end of the day, we need to go to Christ, trust him with the hearts and minds of our kids, walk obediently, raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, steward them, keep the vipers out of their garden, let them Mm -hmm. flourish and do our best to train them how to use the blowtorch. (laughs) Um, And there's so many things that can be said, but I think we're short on time. Um, If you're hearing us, you want to know who Christ is, we have a website for you. It's thenewsisgood.com. We encourage you to check that out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the parents that are uh, listening to this, watching this. I pray that you'd help them navigate this cultural climate that we're in. I pray that you'd help them give their children joy. There's so much more, Lord, that can be said on this topic. But the bottom line is this. We need you. Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to infuse our hearts with joy as parents so we might live that out, embody it, that we might show them your love and uh, your peace, despite what's happening around them. I pray that our children would be adjusted. Mm. I pray that they would grow to be children of joy and hope in a world that is joyless and hopeless. Mm. By your grace, Lord, your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to partner with us, we'd be honored. Go to fierceparenting.com slash partner. Feels like a quick end of the episode, but you know what? We heard our kids roll up with my mom, which means that our window of recording is over. So (laughs) this episode of Fierce Parenting is... In the can. We'll see you again in seven days. Until next time. Stay fierce.